pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, a.k.a. Menas. And joining me today, I have an extra special panel because I've got three guests. I'll start off with, I guess, the most regular panellist. Welcome back, James McSmith. How are you? Thanks, Menas. It's always a pleasure to be here, mate. I have to apologise because for some reason, I seem to throw in a McSmith joke every episode. I know you don't often listen to right to the end, <laughs> um, but there's always a McSmith joke that creeps in there. I can take it, mate, and I'll be, I'll be ready for it today. Thank you. Our next panellist is a man that's been on the the cricket travels, so to speak. He's been in India for the Test Series, then he was there for the IPL, then he jetted across to uh, England for the Champions Trophy. Now he's back in Sydney. But I think the one thing that stands out for that whole thing for me was the photos on Twitter of Gav Joshi and Harsha Bogle cuddled up on a couch talking about cricket. That must have been a, a personal highlight for you, Gav, you and Harsha. No, I think there's qu- quite a few highlights. I don't think Harsha one was the highlight, though. I think just covering cricket in general was the highlights and seeing all the battles on the field and off the field, and they're continuing on. So it's just a... It was a great tour. It's great to be back. And How deep did you and Harsha get into cricket techniques when you were together? No, he's not a real technician as such, but he knows a heck of a lot and what's going on behind the scenes, and that's all we want to know. So, so it was just... Did it get pretty steamy? <laughs> nah, not really. I had other people sort of, you know, mediating uh, in between. Otherwise, it could have got nasty. Who knows? I can tell you one Paul Dennett, a.k.a. the summer game, was very jealous of that evening, I can tell you. So he wishes he was there. <laughs> Well, next time, maybe next time Harsha's down here, we'll maybe we'll get Harsha. Maybe we'll get Harsha in here. Why not? Wouldn't that be a big guess? Now, our next, our final panelist, and Drew Lilly is basically the first person to beg to come on the show, and he put his pride (laughs) in the closet and basically begged to come on the show. So, welcome to our English import, Drew Lilly. How are you? I really don't know how to answer that. Thank you for having me on. Finally, (laughs) I feel like the Hilton Cartwright of of this podcast. I've been centrally contracted to be a panellist for about the last year or so. And it you have to wait until something like the Bangladesh tour comes around and go, oh, no one wants to go. Uh, uh, Drew, he's still around. Come on. And I finally got my, my baggy green uh, headphones. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. I mean, look, I've only let you on because if the ashes goes ahead... We need someone to bag, don't we? We need a pommy in the room. So uh, you, you fit the bill. You'll be here for summer, won't you? Some of it? I certainly will be, yeah. And I am looking forward to playing Australia A, B, C, D, Z, whatever you can scrape up to. Uh... Well, I'll tell you, speaking of scraping up, I've just gone on and got the top three run scorers from Victorian Premier Cricket for last season. So these three players, I think, aren't contracted by or, or fall under the ACA. So we might see Matthew Brown, Eamon Vines or Dean Russ as the top three for Australia come the Ashes. Ever heard of those blokes? Mm. Sure, they're good cricketers. <laughs> no, but they, they could even sign with the South African Premier League before we know it. Exactly. Now we're going to get, we've got lots to talk about in this show. We're going to talk about the, the cricket crisis. We've got headlines with Andrew Mensel, James McSmith's favourite segment. We're going to wrap up the women's. Who's Andrew Mensel? <laughs> we've got some listener questions. So we've got a lot to get through. Before we get to all that, this is episode 192 of the podcast. So just, we're coming up to the big 200, and I feel a bit like Jason Gillespie at this point against Bangladesh. I'm in the nervous 190s, but 
in lead up to that, if any of you have got any memories or thoughts about the podcast that you want to feature in the big 200th spectacular, then get in touch with us over the next few weeks. Few weeks. Email in, you know, some of your memories of the show and uh, putting it all together for a spectacular 200th episode. Manners, I'd love to know what your favourite memories are. Do we go through that now or later in the program? How we kick things off? How professional we were when we began, yeah, or yeah. otherwise. Lots, lots of great memories. We'll save them all for the 200th episode, though. Well, let's start with the, the biggest news in Australian cricket. As we speak, the Australia A Tour to South Africa is not going to go ahead. Cricket is, is in crisis. The players have declined the invitation by Cricket Australia. Now, I had a question come in from one of our listeners last night, and it was... Uh, Sheffield Shield commentator Max Bryden said, who will cave first, the players or the game? So I'm going to ask you, Gav, who do you think is going to cave first? Will it be the players, the game or Cricket Australia? I, I think it will have to be Cricket Australia. Just the way that what's going to, coming up in the next six months, a, a tour to India and, of course, the Ashes, I think it has to be Cricket Australia. Um, it, it goes back to the question. It, it's the whole employee, uh, you know, and working for an employer. Now, who's bigger? Now, generally, working in a normal sort of working environment, you think whatever the rules are set out, the employers follow. But sport is a unique thing where, and especially cricket and other sports, where the players have a huge say. Just by the logic of all this, I think it has to be Cricket Australia who has to sort of buckle it should be, I think, but the problem is that Cricket Australia is a limited number of people, whereas the Australian Cricket Association represents virtually all cricketers, and all you need is one or two to buckle and think, well, if I say yes, I'll go on whatever tour, they'll be the black legs, but it'll be their great uh, opportunity to go from third, fourth, fifth in the pecking order, all of a sudden to going, well, look, I'm going to get a baggy green. And that is the only way I think that Cricket Australia can win is if not all of the players are totally unified. And the longer it goes on with people not being under contract and not getting paid, there could be the temptation for certain people to buckle somewhere. But or... do you think someone's going to break the strike? That's what I think. Not at the moment. I, I don't think there'll be any scabs. I just I can't see that happening, Drew. I just think they're so united and I think you'd be so ostracised by your colleagues in what is, all, of course, a team environment if you did that. I mean, like Gav was saying, it, it, it's a different environment. This is, you know, a great old labour dispute from the good old days. And, yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned a few programs ago. I think it's going to be... James Sutherland, who's going to be the big loser out of this? I think James Sutherland will be the loser, but Cricket Australia is not looking good. And I think Peter Lawler for the Australian newspaper put it very succinctly when he wrote, Cricket Australia has alienated its entire roster of players and is unable to put on the game of which it is the guardian. It is a massive fail to be at this point. And I totally agree with Peter there that Cricket Australia have misjudged this whole negotiation progress and we're in an awful position right now where this tour is not going to go to head. Do you think though this tour is they're trying to get it out of the way now so they don't boycott a tour to Bangladesh or India? Well, let's, let's look at it this way. If there was an Ashes which was in this calendar year, starting in July as it does over in England, would we have got to this point? I don't think we do. One of the, either Cricket Australia or ACA, would have to, you know, negotiate a deal. We don't get to this point if we have an Ashes starting next week. What worries me is the fact that there are now more options open to top-level players. When it was the Kerry Packer Circus 40 years ago, it was... 
you know, I, I read an article, Malcolm Knox and the, the Herald on, on Saturday saying, well, Dennis Lilly was stuck at home and Mrs. Lilly, his wife, was going out working as a primary school teacher and she was the breadwinner. And poor old Dennis was stuck at home earning nothing. It's not that case nowadays. If push comes to shove, the likes of Smith, Warner, etc. can go, you know what, I'm just going to become a Chris Gale, an Andre Russell, uh, without the drug scandal. Um, I'm just going to go and play the well, world the over. black bat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what about, though, that, that's fine for the top level, and I don't think, you know, the cream of Australia's cricket will be able to seek employment, but all the first-class cricketers, they're not going to be able to go and play in, you know, the 2020 leagues all around the world, so they're kind of left high and dry. Some of them not on big money. I mean, are they going to go back to normal jobs now? Exactly, but you, if, if push does come to shove, then you can't say to the likes of Smith, OK, well, just hang around for another month or another two months or another three months. They're going to go, no, well, I'm going to sign up for the CPL. I'm going to sign up for the Ram Slam, and they're all going to become Chris Gale, Luke Wright-type players who will go Kevin Peterson-type players. Sorry to mention that name in here, but um, they're, they're, okay. just, they're just going to do that and become what we have called mercenaries up until now, people who no longer play for a badge, but this is their career, this is their earnings, and if they're not earning anything for a while, and if they think they're being mistreated and not respected by their own authorities, uh, they're just going to go, okay, fine, we're going to do a month here, a month there, and it could be... Should we start a Rebel League? Should we just... The four of us, like, kick off a Rebel League down at Moore Park with all the state players. But there's a couple Who's of issues. The finan- on, Re- yeah. Rebel. Rebel, <laughs> obviously. Okay, Rebel. Cool. <laughs> as long as we got with that, then we've got no issues. <laughs> the Rebel League sponsored by Rebel. Just, uh, there was an argument. Or anyone else who wants to sponsor it, <laughs> yes. I hasten to good, add. Good, 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 Andrew. You can stay. Uh, Ed Cowan and Michael Slater had a heated argument on Sydney Breakfast Radio this week. And one of their key arguments was that Ed Cowan puts forth this line that the cricketers want to be partners in the game. And Slater sort of was refuting that, saying, well, isn't that just a technical term? I mean, you, you're being paid either way. You're custodians of the game. Do, do the players really need to feel like they're partners? Man, I, I think it comes down to a, a, a term we often find used in sport they, these days is player empowerment. You know, you see it across the football codes, and I think you said in cricket now, they want to feel a part of the game. They want to be able to be creating their own future. So I, I think most of the fans can understand where Cowan is coming from. I mean, Slater's views are a bit old world, aren't they? And also, I mean, of course, we always have to understand that where, where Slater's money comes from these days. And I think he sort of really got caught out there when you know, Mitchell Johnson pointed out his days in the Ferrari, didn't he? Yeah, he didn't look too good, no. did he? <laughs> Slater was trying to pay, play devil's advocate because he thinks, and he's probably right, there's a lot of people out there who are just cricket fans of the game who don't really understand what is going on and they just see it as the players making a grab for more money so they can't identify with it. I think, well, cricket is straight issues. They, they've just looked at, you know, projected figures over the next five years, ten years with broadcast deals and they've clearly believed that if we start this revenue share model, the amount of money we're going to lose out, it's just going to be just, all that's going to be given to players. It's just ginormous. This is where they've, decide to put in that cap system which as Mac was saying you know it, it, it's it's so professional the sport now it, it it's like running a you know a corporate sort of business it's just not about you know just cricketers coming and paying uh, playing and then giving them amount so cricket australia have been quite clever about this as well so we have to look at from if you take it from their point of view and it's all about 
keeping the money. If I was running an organization, perhaps they are going down the right path. Well, that is devil's advocate. Ian Chappell made a point, and I think Ed Cowan spoke about it in his interview about the costs that CA are spending on, and Chappelle put it succinctly by saying that if CA isn't overstaffed, I'm Dutch. So he, he thinks that CA is spending too much money on the administrative costs when they could be pumping that to the players. What do you think, Gav? You've well, been in. You were in Cricket Australia offices over summer. Are there too many people there? Well, rather One than many, that, obviously. I mean, I just want to focus on grassroots <laughs> cricket. And you, and you look at some of the f- um, first great teams that you go through, and, and you're one of the lucky ones staying up here, and you've got a like a, a ground, a first great ground, which is down the road from you here in Bondi, which is sensational, which the council has redeveloped really well. But if you head out in some of the other suburbs, the dressing rooms and so forth are just a complete mess. I was speaking to some first grade players a long time back, and they're just wondering why the money hasn't quite reached to down to the grassroots levels to develop these sorts of facilities while they just seem to be enhancing what's up the top. Now, the big difference, and we've had this sort of argument before, is sometimes if you want to take a game out to sort of different country locations, one of the reasons why CA haven't been able to do that, maybe it's the players, it's because they just don't have those facilities in those dressing rooms, whether that's an ice bath or a, you know, a, a massage table or whatever. So all these facilities... It's not all on Cricket Australia. There, no, are, no. there should be money coming from the government as well And, on and councils, yes, absolutely spot on. But there is that point there at the grassroots where probably not enough money has been poured. And Cricket Australia is doing a very good job of selling their side of things. I don't think the average person in the street, the average sports fan, even the average cricket fan, realises the the ins and outs of the two sides of the argument. And Cricket Australia are saying, we're trying to give money back to the grassroots and the players want too much money and the players are currently out of contract but while we're not paying them we're going to be giving money to the grassroots so, so everyone is looking playing the PR game aren't they? they're playing it very and well ACA indeed. have hit back recently using more and more stuff to get back at them so final thing before we leave the pay dispute Man, can I just say well, what of course a, you can Gav, what about a country like India can. what about a country like Pakistan they they don't have the same grassroots they're still powerful cricketing nations so I, for me I don't really buy that argument for, yep. I think it's an easy argument it's an easy lever to pull for cricket Australia to that emotional you know connection that we all have to this great game doing it very well yeah I just I just I can't buy it and I think you know Gav you tell me I mean you can't tell me that India's got these fantastic facilities at at grassroots or Pakistan does or or Sri Lanka I mean just it's a great point that you made it's it's I think some of the people in in Australia are aware of the whole Kumbale and Kohli saga and what's happened over there. And just to see how it operates differently to in the Western world to what happens over in the subcontinent, where Anil Kumbale is kind of pushed like a similar model towards the BCCI. And that's the big difference between the Western world and, say, in the subcontinent, where they just push back anything that's going to be, you know, sort of player-driven, where they've just said, no, we're not dealing with this. The board is the most powerful people. We will dictate what's going to happen, and the players will have no say. And it's not uh, going to fly here. Well, that it's not going to fly, fly here. But so th- where we are now is yep. they've, they've boycotted an A tour. That's very serious. But what looms as more serious is if Australia boycotts the Test tour to Bangladesh, which is under cloud of security. But the the big one is there's a proposed one day tour of India. Now, if Australia doesn't go on that one day tour. Everybody is going to lose out. I mean, what could the the impact of that be? Well, I mean, you just have to look at when West Indies boycotted the tour to India in 2014. I think the cost of that was around 
around 70 or 80 million dollars so you think i'm not sure what the price might be now it's going to be five or seven match one day series plus a t20 game that's a huge cost that you know cricket australia have to put out of their pockets because star television who owns the broadcast deals is going to lose out on that so money surely that's a motivation they, they'll, they'll, they'll just reschedule that if it doesn't but, go you know, they're not going to go to bangladesh that's not going to happen because you're going to get blown you heard it here first well, Mick not, Smith, well, of course they're not, and, and not many players they're not not would you go you wouldn't go so even we'll if you don't go to news. India, that'll be postponed. Beep, beep, and I'll make, pick up the cash later on. Australia the Ashes will go that. ahead. No worries. Well, the, Max so now there is, there there is a bit of a, a clause there where I believe that in bilateral series, and David Peavers had a bit of an involvement there, that you can push back the bilateral series as long as it's been approved. So you're absolutely spot on. There could be potential, but trying to fit. Again, a seven-match one-day series over the course of 12 months from when it was originally scheduled is going to possess a massive challenge. And we know how BCCI are. They might say, well, until that series is played, we not might not even come for that four-match test series um, in Australia next summer. So it, it's huge. Or your the players theory. can't play in our IPL. They might come out with something they like that. that. Un- un- highly they unlikely, that. but you never know. Look, very wide ramifications... We will see how this plays out. Uh, let's hope they get it sorted out in time for the, the next tour. Now, let's move on. We'll leave the pay dispute behind and move on to my favourite segment, Andrew Mensel's Headlines. And it's brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. So all those out there that subscribe to the show on Patreon, thank you for sponsoring the show. If anyone wants to sponsor the Australian Cricket Podcast, you can get hold of us on Gmail. Now, we've got some headlines. Let's start off with... Uh, one that, Gav, you wrote, Gav, you wrote in Indian newspapers that not one player was in favour of Anil Kumble staying on as coach of the Indian team. So so what happened? Was it a clash of egos? They must be the only 10 people who must like Virat Kohli because Australia don't like him. Not, not, many, <laughs> not many India, from what's happened, is basically like Virat Kohli. So there's clearly some hatred towards the Indian captain. Well, the big issue there, man, is yeah, it's a bit of clash of egos and we find that a lot. And this is where how different sports are because in cricket, the captain is the, always the dictator. He, While in other sports, you always find the coach actually shining through. So Coley always wanted it to be his team. Kumble wants to set it at his team. The whole reason for that is he was putting far too much pressure on the players. That's what some of the players have come out and said. And that's the reason why the players are united and not having Kumble around in the dressing room. They'll prefer to play under Kohli, um, and they definitely want Ravi Shastri back in the picture. So that's what seems to have emerged. That's what the you know some of the sources have told me. So that's what's happening in. G- Gab, what, what's the relationship between Shastri and Kohli? It's very good. They're very aggressive in nature. Um, and I think the biggest thing is Shastri is very positive. So India do get walloped 4-0 in a test series. He's still got that positive mindset. From what I've heard, some of the players, even in, during the Australia series after losing the first test match, there was almost a negative vibe which was there with Kumble, putting far too much pressure for players played a Poor shot and walked into the dressing room. There seems to be a fair amount of little bit of concern that you know he's sort of shrugged his head in front of them and that kind of thing. While Shastri is almost to an extent that well, you played a bad shot. Everyone plays a bad shot. Let's get on with life. So he's got that positive sort of encouragement there, and that's what the players. Um, so they're completely opposite end of scale. When a lot of these young team took over under Coley over in Australia in that first Test match in Sydney. 
Shastri was in charge and clearly the players are happy to play under Shastri rather than Kumble, who's far more sort of, you can almost say like a I little bit. There was things cor- like he wouldn't let them go shopping and well, stuff. Well, a little bit more corporate driven, very well organized, while Shastri just gives that a little bit more freedom. And I think that's what the whole this dispute's been about um, in the dressing rooms as well. So, Gav, when you were following around the Indian team, what is the media circus like? And I saw a few times you were caught batting in the nets when you should have been interviewing Indian players, making a dash from the nets to the to yeah. the press conference. But what is the when you found time to actually do some work? What is the contingent around the Indian team like? Well, it's is it more intense than the Aussies? Yes and no, because there's hardly any media communication, interaction between the players. So that's why it makes it so difficult because you're trying what, what to... What do you mean they keep a much bigger distance? Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the, you know, there's hardly any press statements. If a player is injured, you won't hear a statement come out from the BCCI. So a lot of the journalists tend to speculate or go on basically their own analysis. If a player's not bowled in the nets, they say, yep, he's clearly injured. He's got some strapping. While here in Australia, a little bit more proactive, Cricket Australia will put out a statement or the media manager might say so-and-so hasn't trained just a great example last night Meg Lanning didn't play and there was this official statement because she's nursing an injury so many of these things don't come out so a lot of the times you're sitting there trying to investigate what's happening because it's not put on your plate and this is where it creates a greater division between the players and the journalists because the players believe that a lot of the stories are being speculated while in sense that's all you can do because you're not getting enough information uh, passed down does Coley look you in the eye or is he after your podcast appearances he's heard what we said I've, I've asked him some tough questions and he's basically looked up and he, he gives you an answer but who knows what he does after he shrugs off he's probably like why is this guy even you know asking me a question he shouldn't be allowed in the press conference <laughs> what's he doing in the nets next to me <laughs> all right without so, any pads on apparently yeah so well it was it was fun though um, now, thanks to Mel Farrell for that videos of uh, Gavin the nets now I've got Hilton Cartwright in the studio, so I've got to ask him a question. <laughs> no, Drew, this is one, the second headline, and it does pertain, and this is what I really want to focus on now is, as it pertains to the Australian Ashes if it goes ahead. Joe Root kicks off his career as England Test Captain tonight, Australian time, in the first test against South Africa at Lords. What are you expecting from him as English captain stylistically? It's very difficult to say because he has absolutely no experience whatsoever as captain. He has captained Yorkshire once when Andrew Gale wasn't available. I think he was banned for a match, so Root was allowed to captain for one match. He set Middlesex, I think it was, 450 to win in the second innings in a day and a session, and they lost. So he gets absolute abuse from all well, that of his would, teammates. That would suggest he's an aggressive <laughs> captain that wants to dangle the carrot. He so dangled that's a positive the carrot. sign. He dangled the carrot. And yeah, so rather than going, OK, we're going to bat them out of the game, uh, he thought, well, 450, they'll never get that. And they got absolutely flogged. So he, he gets, uh, they're absolutely merciless with him at Yorkshire. Because uh, I'm hoping he gets off to a terrible start. I'm hoping that they struggle against South Africa. They just limp over the line against the West Indies and then Root comes here under pressure. And Australia Z might beat them as well. Well, exactly. <laughs> Australia Z extra B, yeah. Exactly. Matty Brown yeah. and Eamon Vines. And Russ or whatever his name was. Yes, yeah. the, the, the Victorian. Dean Russ. Uh, yeah, exactly. Dean Russ. D- right. D- Dean Russ. Remember that name. <laughs> D- you heard it here first. Uh, Root is obviously the last of the, the big four. So Steve Smith, Virat Kohli, 
Kanye Williamson and, uh, <laughs> and uh, Root is the last one. So Coley's been affected by the captaincy. There's no doubt Coley has been affected by the captaincy. His batting has been affected. Will Root be the same? Who knows? We will find out tonight uh, and over the next five days. I very much doubt it. What I love about Joe Root, something we saw during the Champions Trophy, is that he likes to score off every ball. He is a very proactive player. I don't honestly think that it is going to affect his batting. He doesn't look like the kind of person like Alistair Cook, who was told, you are the man to replace Strauss. Uh, You've got to be captain. And he didn't really want to be captain. And he batted as well as he could. But now that he has had the captaincy removed from his shoulders, an absolute relief to him. And I think he's going to be a better batsman and I hope that it doesn't affect Root's batting. Well, the first conscious decision he's made clearly is that he wants to bat at number four when uh, Trevor Bayliss clearly wanted him at three. Uh, What do you think of that? I think that that is a good move. He says he wants to bat at number four. He's the most comfortable at number four. Poor guy's batted. I mean, we had him as an opener at one point. He quite often comes in very early because we've struggled for openers uh, so Root would be coming in as uh, an Azatz opener, coming in with five balls down, that kind of thing. He's more comfortable at number four. Uh, what is very interesting is that Gary Balance has come back in and he is going to be number three. Uh, who? Gary Balance, exactly. Gary Balance, you know, who South has African benefited. <laughs> yeah, which one? Yeah, narrow it down. <laughs> narrow it down. Exactly, exactly. If, if, um, so England, Zimbabwe. So, right. Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, yes. If the England and Wales cricket board had a strike, they would just go... Right, Zimbabwe, South Africa, everybody come this way. Root's put his head on the chopping block because he's, he's back balance another Yorkshire player. He's back Dawson. And if, if England do not do well against South Africa, the pressure and the spotlight will be on Root's uh, selections in this, ga- in but, this but game. He, but he's in, as a new skipper, he's entitled to put his... No, I'm Print so on the team, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. live or die by that. I just yeah. wanted to mess it up. But I think England are going to be fine and Gary Balance are going to be, is going to be fine because Gary Balance at Yorkshire has been batting with Peter Hanscom. And both of them have been sitting a long way back in their crease uh, and he's... Uh, yeah. Balance is all that. That'll be one for the purists. Uh, look, I, I want to exactly. move on. Exactly. I, want to, I want to leave headlines because we've got a lot to get through. But I will say, I don't put a lot of uh, credence on county cricket runs generally. I think the standard is a long way short of test cricket. Now, we're going to take a short break and we're going to be back with the wrap of the Women's World Cup. Uh, before we do that, I just want to remind you all that you can buy the Have A Go Your Mug Mugs. So if you're interested in Have A Go Your Mug Mug, email or tweet me a message and I'll get back to you. All right, we'll take a short break and then we'll be back. I don't know how active you are on Twitter at the moment. Wacko Eunice tweeted something the other day where he said that 50 overs is too long for a women's game. It should be down to 30, which is you know, pretty offensive, I suppose. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, it is a little bit offensive. I guess what's T20 cricket for then? It's quite quite interesting that he said it the, the day after our match against Sri Lanka. That was one of the highest scoring games, like uh, I guess, of the, the World Cup so far. And 500-odd runs scored and two of the best innings of the women's game ever. So, yeah, I, I think maybe a little bit misguided. And, yeah, we'll just leave it at that, I think. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. That was James Buckley panellist on the show, I think, a couple of weeks ago, asking Jesh Jonathan a question about the tweet uh, by Wakar Yunus that was uh, put on Twitter over the weekend. And 
here to discuss that. I'm with James McSmith from news.com.au, Drew Lilly, sports broadcaster, and Gav Joshi, freelance cricket writer. So we'll start with you, Macca. So Wakar Yunus's tweet just created a storm, and I think the words were, what about having 30-over Cricket World Cup for women, like tennis three sets rather than five? So what do you think about Wakar Yunus's suggestion to have a 30-over game? How insensitive was that tweet? I don't know about insensitive, man. As I just think, he's put it out there as a talking point, hasn't he? But obviously, the problem with it is that it's so close to T20 that it's a bit of a... It's not a very respectful talking point. Well, I mean, the the most highest profile female athletes in the world are probably tennis players, aren't they? You think about Serena Williams and Venus Williams, etc. And they play shorter than the men. So there's some logic towards it. Anyone want to refute? Because uh, well, <laughs> I think it's I, I, ridiculous. I thought it was I, I, very ill thought out. I think and- Wacker has crushed his own toes with that kind of tweet. I think, <laughs> you know, but look, look, I mean, but on the evidence of the way Pakistan women played last night, Menas, I, I can understand where he's coming from. Well, well Gav, that's it. we've had some massive hammerings in some of these games, haven't we? And that's not necessarily a good thing for the well, women's game. Think, but I think about the tweet before we get onto the women's game. Is uh, I've touched on this before. It's sort of like an ingrained discrimination, like uh, that women need to play a shorter game, or you know, you mentioned that's what T Twenty's for. And I just thought it was insensitive. You know, the sort of thing. The games move so far forward. For him yeah. to say that, it would just sort of seem ignorant. And and maybe it's a frustration. You'll thought out. Because Pakistan just haven't caught up with the other, you know, other women around the world. I mean, they were just absolutely abysmal last night watching the game after about 25 overs. They, in the last 10 overs, they would have dropped literally 10 catches, um, misfielded. So maybe their concentration, maybe it's just lack of Maybe Waka wants them home for dinner. So if you cut off that 40 overs, they're home early to cook and clean and stuff. Well, the, the thing is, there was that... I don't agree, by the way. I'm just trying to <laughs> no, think about what he's thinking. There was that very poor performance from Pakistan, but at the same time, there was another match going on uh, which had the highest aggregate score of any women's international match. So that disproved what Vakar was saying. Here's the English coming out of him. Which two teams are playing? I do believe it was South Africa and England. <laughs> so England with all English, England English players opposed to South Africans <laughs> that they got in. So, so Mac, and now we, I've, I wanted to, to get to this. Now the mics are on. You're not the biggest fan of women's cricket, and I want to. I want, and I think Vaka and Maka. <laughs> we got the two of them together. No, no, and I think it's good because you know you, people should have their own opinions. It's not like you're saying they shouldn't play cricket. You just don't like to watch it. So, what is it about that that stops you from really investing in it? Can you edit that silence out there, man? As it was, a... he's got his whack and another hat silence. At the <laughs> Matters. Look, I enjoy any sporting contest. Of course, I do. I sometimes I just feel that the you know I've covered women's cricket and I enjoyed that. I just feel that it 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 it's does for it's for me it struggles to sustain my perhaps curiosity. I think. Yeah, and look, I think the game intensity. The one thing I will say is that I don't know if anyone saw Australia play Pakistan. There was a clear golf in standard. The Pakistan team at times were embarrassing, and it really sort of. Didn't look like they should be on the world stage Co- Man, at couldn't, times. Couldn't you argue that does as much to, I don't know, chip away at the women's game than anything Wacko Yunus tweets from his, you know, penthouse out at, in Western yeah, but Sydney then the there? the Pakistan team, like, battled it out and batted the 50 overs and showed some courage. But it's, it's, it's almost that argument But you say sometimes. that the standard's not there. That's it, what, you know, you say that the pace is not there. And, but don't you see the nuance and the different style of game? Or it just doesn't appeal to you? Uh, From a cricket pure perspective, I actually like it sometimes because 
it's it's not completely a power game. Well, I saw some of the leg spinners in there bowling at literally, you know, sixty-five kilometers an hour, where they loop it well above the eye line, and and you just won't see that happen in the men's game now because you know it's just the amount of power that they have, and with the size of the bats and so forth, and maybe that might just get out of the women's game as it sort of goes and evolves. But it just takes me back to what the art of sort of spin bowling was or not just about power hitting. It's about, you know, working singles. And there's still a lot of development that needs to be made in the game. And it's good to see that transforming. Um, I know we completely sit on the other side, me and Maka here, but... (laughs) I, I think you fancy yourself out there, Gav. They, yeah, they remind you so, yourself yeah. in the nets roll in the arm over, looping it above eye level. Well, anyway. no, I, I'm prepared to you know admit that I'm sure one, now it's probably rugby might be a fair comparison, men. Bear with me here. That you know, Now that a lot of these women are uh, full-time professionals, the game will obviously accelerate and become more professional. They'll become greater athletes and the, and the pace of the game will speed up. And if they don't play World Cups, when are they going to get better? When are they going to be able to measure themselves against Australia, who are by far away the, the class of the field? And yes, they are going to get embarrassed from time to time. Everyone will when they play Australia because they're, they've been professional for longer. They've had a better establishment for You're doing for a bit longer. of a bob here, like being the outsider, sucking up to the Aussies. Drew. Well, no, I think I like it's, it. <laughs> and it, it, it's that, that whole argument of, uh, you know, should Afghanistan and Ireland and some of these other countries, exactly. should they be playing in the Men's World Cup? There's different arguments because we see them getting absolutely flogged like Scotland was and Afghanistan was. Should they be there? Like, so you've got to start somewhere. That's you've what got to start exactly. somewhere. But yeah. I also think I, I love the format. There's eight teams. They play each other you know, once. And I would love to have that in the men's game as I well. Agree. Because well, they are doing that in the next World in Cup. In the next World the Cup. The 10-team yes, World yes. Cup. Okay, so I want to move on. There was an issue, though, about... I just think the organisation of this Women's World Cup has been lacking. So on Sunday, they played four games in one day. And yesterday, they played three games in one day. And I don't think they would ever even concede that they would even think of doing that for the men's teams. And yet, you know, if you're a true fan of the women's game, you spread pretty thin trying to watch four games in a day or three three games. I think it shows some disrespect. Anyone with me? I would disagree. I think unless you really are a cricket tragic and wanted to go from, you know, Grace Road on Wednesday to Bristol on Thursday to wherever on Friday. Or on TV even, just stream to stream. Or on TV. Women's game every day. Why not? Uh, I don't like the facts. I I know you're a great advocate of the World Cup over the Champions Trophy, but the Champions Trophy, the, the World Cup to me, for the men, there's far too many games. It goes on far too long, whereas... The Women's World Cup, it's from the 24th of June till the 23rd of July. It's reasonably yeah. compact. Uh, you has been thinking... lots of off days, though. They could have just yeah, spread, that, they, they that, could have spread that, them that, out, that, but they're, they're trying to say, this is Super Sunday, and yes. they marketed it as Super Sunday in the same way that they do in yeah. American well, I think sports. It was Sunday, that's what I think it was. If you like, well, if in American sports, they will have uh, the ice hockey playoffs, and there'll yep. be one at 4 o'clock, one at 7 o'clock Eastern, one at 10 o'clock yeah, Eastern. Two because it, games. Yeah. No, no, I'm with no, you, no. Drew. I think, I, I, Ben, is you've got to think that appetite probably isn't there for the broadcasters to Correct. show in terms of, you know, content is king these days. So if Hence pe- this podcast. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and so if people wanted to watch these games, they wouldn't overlap like that. I think that... You know, it has maybe it hasn't evolved. It, well, it obviously hasn't evolved that yet 
newspaper reports, they'll think, well, there were four matches on the Sunday. We can give them a whole page or two pages on the Monday, as opposed to there was a bit of a match yesterday. We'll give it a column. There was yeah. uh, Sri Lanka versus India playing <laughs> on ch- Tuesday. Yeah. We won't even. We'll just stick that in the results column. Whereas there were three matches on Wednesday. One of them was Australia. There was England. We can give that a good full page in in our newspaper. Drew, you just want to gig over there commentating. Now, performance of the day with the four games was Sydney Sixer and South African bowler Dane Van Nakirk's four wickets and four zero runs. That is the only time it has ever happened in any international match that a bowler has taken more than three wickets for no runs. So well done to Dane Van Niekerk, the Sixers player. And just a little ladder update before we move on, that the Australian women are four from four. Uh, so four games, four wins, looking really good. Uh, following them in the table is India, then England, then South Africa. India probably the surprise packet at the moment. Um, and I think Australia's game against New Zealand so far is the highlight. Aussies looking pretty good, Gav, now. I think They are. Just incredible batting depth that they have. I mean, you've got someone like Ash Gardner who batted at number three throughout the WBBL. She's one of the best. Perry is peerless at the moment. Perry, um, you know, Meg Lanning didn't even play. They've just got all grounds covered. If, if we get a pitch that's flat, you know, it's great. Uh, we've got two leg spinners in the squad as well. Sarah Alley, what, what an incredible story at 33. She, she was arguably, you know, the, one of the form players of the WBBL last year. Just incredible depth in Australian cricket. And just they do all these little things right. And you can tell they've been around for a long time because they convert ones into twos, twos into threes. That's something that the other teams really sort of can't do at the moment. Um, the fielding, yes, it probably hasn't been up to the standard, but it's still, you know, a fair amount ahead of, you know, some of the other teams. But the one thing about the fielding is it is fair to criticise the Australian fielding. They are a professional team. They spend a lot of time training on their fielding and they probably in those first two games should have been a bit better. Yeah, they're just probably warming up menace, you know. But, but I, like I us. Mean, they are. Like Drew, I, I just Drew find them, in the chair. Uh, uh, look, it's going to be a major upset if somebody can actually beat Australia because just, as I mentioned, power hitting hasn't evolved in the women's game as much. That's sort of the next level coming in. But, you know, having someone like Elisa Hill at number seven, Ash Gardner at number eight, that's where your power hitters need to be. And I, I don't think any other team has that luxury. And that's where Australia is a long way away from the pack, I believe. So one benefit from all these games going on on the one day was we had a, a swathe of commentators, which leads me into the next segment, listeners. Commentary critique. I said it was coming back and I brought it back. We've just got a few this week. But, uh, and we want to talk a general chat while I've got the panel here about commentary. So as I said, it did open up the commentary. We had some podcasters and guests on the show commentating. We had uh, Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon commentating. Um, so I thought those guys did well. I thought Jeff Lemon was pretty good in his debut on TV. Do you guys listen to those guys? I, I do like them as a double act. Um, I think they're very competent. I didn't hear them commentating this time around, but they're they're two cricket pundits that I like very much. I think Collins is better with Lemon. I think I think Lemon lightens him up a bit. A lot of things are better with Lemon, aren't they, mate? Yeah, gin, <laughs> vodka. Um, this is a family show. <laughs> Yeah, I thought they did really well. What about Simon Dole, the Kiwi commentator? He's grown on me as one oh, of my favourite Kiwi commentators. Him, him and Ian Bishop are two of the best commentators going around. I think they just read the game so well. They understand the technical sides. They also have got a great history about the game as well. And they've, they've played a bit of county cricket that merges on. 
and they just know you, 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 as a commentator you need to have the feel of what's going on in front of you and i think those two blokes have it better than a lot of them even some of you know like the channel nine commentators who we won't dwell into them too much uh but look yeah i i totally agree i think I, I like the fact that some of the sort of the amateur commentators have been given a go in this in the yeah. women's world cup i think it's fantastic because not often you're going to find and it, it's good to have different voices um sometimes you know if we listen to someone like michael slater or michael clark throughout 12 months it can get absolutely irritating um so it's good to have different views i think it's a great opportunity for some of the amateurs coming on board i've got into this habit and i don't know if it was one too many stints with uh, brett lee and michael clark in t- when they were together but i've started turning the sound off a lot of the times when I listen to the cricket. Do you do you guys ever listen without the commentary just to get your own sort of feel for the game? Man, I, I personally like doing that, but I also find I lose sort of concentration with the game because you don't have the, I don't know, the background noise or whatever. But, man, as I, I think for me, one of the things, and you guys are speaking about it, Henry Blofeld's retirement, I think... And another podcast I listened to recently, but Jim Maxwell spoke about, you know, how he learned his radio craft through some of the greats of radio. And and because of the changes in, in the media landscape now, that's just not happening these days. That Those days are over. So it's interesting that I think that golden era of radio commentary, radio coverage of cricket is gone, these greats. But that allows guys like us to obviously comment on the game now and give our opinions, doesn't it? So I think it's just, it's a, it's a different world now that... Yeah, um, do you think you're going? To... Yeah, as 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 Gav was saying, there also there seems to have it's opening been opening up a, for podcasters though. There, well, exactly. There seems to have been there seems Not to be a divine joke. right to for the likes <laughs> of Michael Clark to just step up automatically, and you can go in the commentary box. And it's it's the same with English cricketers as well. If you retire, do you want a job as a commentator? Because there's one there for you. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good commentator, which is why someone like Ian Bishop, I could listen to him all day and all night. And I think the most critical thing is also not, it doesn't apply to all commentators, is you watch a heck of a lot of cricket as well. Um, and I, I know like people like Simon Dool and Ian Bishop, um, Lisa Stalaker, who you've had on the show, she, she's great. Like when, the, when you've got to have her on for Australia games because she has so much background about the Australian players. But it's well, all- Gav, she's someone who should be on the Channel 9 team to break it up, you know, to give it a different element, to take it out of that old boys club. That, that's what I think anyway. We, 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 and it can only come through training. Right, I think she needs to keep doing more and more, and that's the only way you're going to get coach Gav. Well, yeah, but but the thing is, like, you can't have her doing some other matches, which she's been doing at the World Cup, because I don't think she knows enough or it's lack of research. While someone like Ali Mitchell, who seems to be so over a lot of things in women's game, she might be you know broadcasting about the West Indies playing Pakistan, and she'll know a lot of research or she's done a lot of research, and that's what you want. Well, I guess this displays Macca's point perfectly with those two people. Lisa Stalaker, former player, former captain of Australia, World Cup winner, has obviously got to where she has through that experience and well-earned, obviously. And then Alison Mitchell, just a broadcaster, always plied her trade doing uh, bits and pieces on the BBC and now has worked her way up to the top. So you see sort of two ways of getting but, there. Uh, I wonder how how professionally trained they are. I mean, you just go back and, you know, Ian Chappell talks about this, that when they were 
hired by Channel 9 all those years ago, the producer will actually give them a, basically a rap or whatever or critique or how they went over that session. He said every 20 minutes he'll be now. I don't think that happens now. You basically go in. We do set, it though. And, and well, we do, but I wonder <laughs> if that, so that's professional training. And I don't how think. How long would the notes be for some of those Channel 9 <laughs> But Gabe, I, I don't, I know what you're saying. Like, like running out of paper and, and, on a school and, book. And, uh, you know, you need to learn how to project your voice like some of the great commentators do. And as, as of course yeah. we do here, but I don't, I don't know that you need, that training so much because of the the splintering of the media world. Yeah, I think you do. I think yes. you do. Some do, some just, don't. Just just to, you know, just to polish off because you hear some of these amateur commentators and you can tell that there's a bit of um and um and they hold their thought. They don't know when to speak and all those things. I'm sure a producer or whoever it is can just get in and say this part you can probably do better your you know your voice modulation needs to be a little bit I might uh, start sending you guys notes after every show just jot down a few things and send them out so that was the commentary critique segment uh, this week we'll be back uh, with that segment soon to assess some more commentators and before we wrap things up I want to let I've got the have a go you mug promotion if you go on and leave a review for the show on iTunes or whatever app you listen to the show, you will go in the draw for a Have A Go You Mug mug. This time, as I said, the new rules are once you go in the mug, you stay there. So you've got more of a chance to win it. Um, so this week we've got two additions to the mug. So unlucky for Mike from Boston, he's not the only one left. We've got Alistair from England and Funny333 from America. So they've gone in the mug. So we've got three lucky entrance there and i'm going to get uh drew or as we call him hilton cartwright to draw the winner out the drum roll thank you very much but i really hope i pick mike here because the poor guy has been uh on the uh, on the cusp for so many weeks i know how he feels so what have you i picked i've do. picked marathon for future 7876 that is mike that is mike oh yes oh, thank yes. goodness for that mike uh, my mike voice sank not rigged or anything he's getting his mug delivered in person by yours truly there we go. I found this podcast a few months ago and have been enjoying it ever since. As an expat cricket fan living in the USA, this podcast is a fantastic way to catch up as I drive around on all the things going on in Australian and international cricket. Thanks for the great work. Keep it going. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Congratulations. Now, if you want to get in touch with the Australian Cricket Podcast, we're on Gmail, Pod. That's A-U-S cricketpod at gmail.com we're also on facebook as the australian cricket podcast we're on instagram now at oz cricket pod and uh, i've only joined instagram to catch macca's dogs instagram account that has about fifty thousand followers so look we're going to be back in a moment with the f- conclusion of the show we've got listener mail and can't let it go and just a reminder next week no panel show they have a special interview with one of the women's world cup members and uh, we'll be back with the end of the show McGraw is going to have to make his way to the centre now with 10 minutes to go before lunch. Oh, got him! South Africa have got it. They've won straight back to him. Cotton ball. What a game for the Villiers. You're listening to the Australian Cricket Podcast. We've got Manners, Macca, Drew and Gav here. And we've got two segments to end the show. We've got listener questions. Now, it was supposed to be general listener questions, but the only one that really came through was Bob, Kiwi Bob. Now, that sound I just played... 
ties in with the first question because it was Australia failing in a gripping run chase in 1994. Why are we reminded of that, man? Is why? What well, are you trying to do uh, to us? There was a Twitter stoush recently with Martin and a footballer where he got reminded. But anyway, this is the question from Kiwi Bob and quick answers, guys. You're the last batter at the crease and you still have 30 runs to get to win. Would you rather face Brett Lee or Glenn McGrath in their prime to get those runs. Macca, Lee or McGrath? Brett Lee, a couple of fours through the slip, so I win the game. True. Exactly. Bingo, the ball might be going left, right and centre. You might get some buys. It'll come off the bat more quickly. You'll get runs more quickly. Pidge was an absolute metronome. You wouldn't be able to get him off the square. I'd rather face Glenn McGrath. I know where he's going to bowl. Yeah, I'm with you, Gav. I face That's Brett That's because you bat without pads. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't want to face Brett Lee without pads. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going McGrath. I couldn't see Lee, so have more of a chance with McGrath. Final one. Uh, next question. Out of all players in world cricket, which one, two, or three stand the best chance of beating Lara's 400? Wow. Just give us one each. Who do you think, Macca? Well, I think Steve Smith's an obvious one to pull, isn't he? He can do anything. We've seen him play some massive innings. So he's me, got the he, drive, determination. He, yeah, and he, he's got that concentration. So I think it's a massive task, isn't it? It's obviously the Everest, but I think he could do it. Coley, obviously, another. Hilton Cartwright, obviously. <laughs> uh, You're just angling for another invite. <laughs> I'm going to go for Hashimamla, and I know you'd like him to score tonight and tomorrow and get 300 by, uh, 300 by the weekend. Last time he was in England. Exactly, yes. Yeah. So one, I, I reckon Hash, better. Hash is, uh, is number one on my list. Hash it has to be David Warner. Wow. Uh, yeah, well, in a day. Well, in a day too, yeah. But, but because, by tea. By well, tea well, on the first right. day. <laughs> by tea on a day-nighter. <laughs> only in Australia though, right? Exactly, yeah. Only in Australia. Maybe against the you know, mediocre oh, Poms attack Warner, this year. Warner's the way he plays. You can see... Eventually, it'll come undone in the two. Like, he's not going to make 400. Well, well, Hayden went close with that 380. I know that was against Zimbabwe. but Hayden's a better, or I wouldn't say a better bat than Warner, but he's more a tighter technique. Well, in Australia, I mean, David Warner seems to be peeling off runs so so easily against, you know, against Pakistan, quite a you know quality. They did it against New Zealand, 200 up in Gabba as well. So, wouldn't put it past him, I think. And he scores quickly uh, because modern day, you, you know, teams are looking for declarations and to set up the games. Plus, he's an opener. So, the chances nah, are... Yeah. If I'm anyone, Warner. Well, for you, Menas, for you? I'm with Coley. I think on a flat deck in India with a billion people to egg him on. Um, all right. They'll probably make a dick so he can do it, won't they? All right. Now, favourite grounds. <laughs> this is another one from Bob. Favourite grounds in the world to watch cricket. So let's just smash through these. Give me two, Macca. Well, Menas, I love the SCG. It's one of the most beautiful grounds in cricket. But I did go to Candy years ago and saw England play Sri Lanka. Uh, the old ground. I don't use the ground anymore, but it was in the middle of it was in the middle of Candy. It was the only cricket ground in the world where they played Test cricket and schoolboy cricket. Just nestled in those mountains, incredibly beautiful, just fantastic. They're, they're my two. I also like the SCG uh, back in England. I like Lords and Edgbaston. Lords, it's the home of cricket. Edgbaston, it's the home of my home team. And then the and yes. my other little pick would be the Royal Selangor Golf Club, which is where Malaysia play. And it's a gorgeous <laughs> little ground. You can wander around the outfield, chat to the players. Uh, it's your it's, fault, Bob. It's, it's just that's my favourite little place to to watch cricket. You have to tweet us out a photo. When no, you get there. I will do. Next time I'm there, I will I will tweet a photo. Gav, 
I love watching cricket at the Wacker. Not many people do, but I like love the ball flying through. I love the Wacker. It's just the you know the brightness and all that. That's my favourite ground in Australia. Well, Gav, you might never get the chance again. No, mate. one more. Well, if the test, one more. Yeah, yeah, I hold yeah, off. Um, overseas, I actually loved the Durham Shala when I was there for the fourth test match. You sit across where the pavilion is. Did you visit the Dalai Lama? Uh, I didn't, no. Yeah, you um, probably need it. I went <laughs> probably a good thing for yeah. him. So, um, no, it's just absolutely majestic just to watch the Himalayas in the background and you're quite close to the action, which is rare in India, uh, but it is... If someone's got that on their agenda to go watch a one day or even a test match there, you must do it. It is absolutely fantastic. Would you have been like Steve Smith with the Dalai Lama? Look, I can't sleep. I love cricket so much. I just can't get it out of my head. How do I How do I cope with this? Now, to answer that question, I, I concur with all of you guys. SCG, Adelaide Oval are my two favourites in Oz. And then Lords, love Lords. Lucky enough, one of my... Friends lived across the road for a while and we just used to duck across there for the afternoon of county cricket and pints of beer. So lovely ground. So, Bob, thank you for all those questions. Thanks for coming through, Kiwi Bob. <laughs> now, we're going to wrap up the show with Can't Let It Go. And for those who haven't listened to the show before, this is where we all pick something from the cricket world that we just can't let go. And Maka. Is it what is it? Is it the water cooler talk? Is it the man? As you know, this is is one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite segments. I love this way to finish the show. No, time and time again, I've loved. He's got a cricket ball in his hand. Very serious. I've tried to bring this some wonderful analogies, colorful analogies for the listeners to the show, and time and time again, they've ended up on that cutting room floor. And last week, we had to listen to the great James Buckley rabbit on about some game called AFL that. (laughs) 99% 99% of the listeners would have no idea what is. So for all those times that I've tried to make these analogies to the great game of rugby league or something like that, and you've just completely discarded them. but James, edited out of the podcast. Well, they're gone, and James Buckley comes on for his second stint at the crease. And, and he, he was given free reign. Exactly, exactly. Drew. I, I, I can't let this go, man. I want an explanation, and I want you to go back and get all that stuff off the cutting room floor and launch and release a special edition. For the 200th edition. Yes, yes. Macca's Roosters outtakes. Well, man, I want an explanation. Can you give it to me? I, I don't know. They were talking about Damien Oliver or Oliver Cook or something, this guy who did something. I, I smell a bit of a dispute here. Do you think the guest panellists should be on strike? I just think... <laughs> you guys get a boycott I just the next think podcast. James Buckley is in danger of a I'm, joke. I'm not. He took me ages to get back on. I'll, I'll be here next week, the week <laughs> after. Go. He's don't, a strike don't, breaker. Don't rock the boat, Hilton. If one, if, if one of us is out, we're all out. Um, as I said on the podcast, as I've let more professional journalists in, and I guess I should count you in that, that... <laughs> no, no, you're all counted in it. I'm oh, saying, thank you. I'm just saying that I've had to lessen that hard take. And, and it's just a physical thing of editing. Like, it just sounds weird, some of these cuts. Um, but, yeah, look, I try not to encourage it. There was a whole AFL segment I cut out of last I thought, week. I thought it was the AFL podcast and look, for a I second. did mention someone, did, I think Rob or James crossed the line with some AFL and analogy. He mentioned analogy. who'd won and how. Yeah, and that's too far. Honestly, yes. that's too far. So, yeah, good, can't let it go. We'll, we'll put that in the notes. Exactly. As the great cricket writer from the Caribbean, CLR James said, what knows he of cricket that only cricket knows? You need perspective. Wow. Wow. We've got deep. Now, Drew, what's your can't let it go for this week? I can't let go of my have a go, your mug mug that oh, I finally got after being centrally contracted to the podcast for a year. I finally got my mug. 
On a slightly more serious note, uh, I can't let go of the fact that Elise Perry is the best player in, she's the best women's player in the world. She's showing that with the bat, with the ball. And the great thing is she is from the Sydney suburb of Beecroft, which is also where I'm from in Australian terms. Wow, local hero. I would suggest, though, that her bowling is uh, falling off a little bit and she should just concentrate on the batting. But yeah, Elise Perry is just amazing athlete. Now... Gav, what can't you let go of? Did did any of those two take yours? No, nothing. Look, it, it's, I just can't think at the moment. I'm just jet lagged. It's it's too difficult of a question to answer, Menas. So I'm just going to bypass that. I for think now. he can't. He can't let go of his time with Harsha. Come on, <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. He's still thinking he's still, about he's it. He's thumbing that photo of the duo over there, yeah. looking through his Instagram pics again. <laughs> I know. Well, I've got three then, so that's pretty easy. So my three can't let go is my first one is, is I was so happy when Sarah Ailey making her Australian One Day International debut after playing in state cricket for almost 15 years. So a long time coming. She makes the call. She gets called up, sorry. Second ball of her spell gets a wicket just to see the joy in not only her face, but the whole Australian team that, that sort of rallied around a very popular figure finally getting a chance of that. I can't let go of that. And I was actually pretty pumped when she got a wicket. And my next, my, my, my sort of final two is some two tweets. So you brought this one to my attention, Maka. This is Usman Khawaja getting political on Twitter. This is what he write. He wrote, I didn't speak English good when I became a citizen and I still don't like Vegemite. Would I fail the values test? Tough language, hashtag speak well. So that was Usman Khawaja about some... Political well, he's way into the citizen test, which they're proposing be introduced to new immigrants to this country. It's good on him for having his say. Yeah, it's not. It's just something that sort of came from left field when a, a cricketer tweets something political. But he's in a good position to do that. What the only Australian Muslim test cricketer, Gav? I believe so. Yes. Jet lag's kicked in over there for Gav. <laughs> and finally, uh, to end the show, I've been featuring Chris Lynn's political tweets. Well, just to show that he's come back to earth, <laughs> this is what he tweeted on the weekend. Does anyone know the best pub in Airlie Beach with a tab? Question mark, T-A-B. So he's back to his old ways. Uh, I think he owns a racehorse up there, so probably wanted to watch maybe, that Maybe one. his account was hacked, man. That's what do you think? No, I think he was genuinely looking for a pub with a good TAB. That's, that's where he's keeping all his you know, life savings at the moment because he's unemployed like a lot oh, of them are. Chris Lynn's not going to have any problems. No, would he true. be in at the CPL and the I think he's already, IPL? As we speak, I think he's already signed up for the Bangladesh Premier League. There you go, BPL. Man, what did you think? Some of the cricketers took to social media to poke fun at the fact they were unemployed. Kawaja was one who posted a pic of him looking on the employment site Seek, I think... Uh, Stark said he was going to be taking up golf. It's just a good way of alienating the general public, I think. Oh, I, th- I think it's all in relatively good humour. Yeah, don't I just you? don't think it's fun for the state cricketers that are, are on 60 grand contracts a year and probably now wondering how Warner's they're going to pay their mortgage. been off a long run for a long time, hasn't he? I think he's just got to be a little bit careful because he is the vice captain and you never know if Smithy's not touring and given what he's been saying and he's been the spokesman, it could affect. If, if Smith is to step down his captaincy, Maybe Cricket Australia, someone up there might say, well, Davey? Nah, put nah. you to the side. Hilton yeah. Cartwright's He's captain. probably banging Hilton up. Cartwright's the new captain. Yeah. Hilton for <laughs> captain, that's what I say. All right, so listeners, thank you so much for downloading the show. As I said, won't be back next week with a panel show, but I should have an exclusive interview with one of Australia's World Cup heroes, as you said, Macca, women's World Cup heroes.
Maka, thanks for coming back. Man, has loved every minute of it. Thank you for having me. I hope to Till next back. time. Drew, well, thanks for coming in all the way from England, all the way from Beecroft. Exactly. It's a long way from Beecroft. And Gav, well, it's so good to have you back in town. I really missed you. I felt, you know, a bit jealous when yeah. I saw you with Harsha. Nobody has said that over the last 24 hours, so thanks. Not even your family? No, you not at do all. your family? Oh, Gav's back. Oh, well. <laughs> I thought we'd change the locks. All right, listen. We rented your room, Matt. What are you doing here? <laughs> Listeners, thank you so much, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks. What a marvellous stroke. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series. Just to polish off, just to polish off, just to polish off, just to polish off.